We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode of Inside Golf Podcast is brought to you by RickRenGood.com. All of the stats, tools, and information that I'll be referencing on this podcast can be found over at RickRenGood.com. Not to mention all of my premium articles, including a very in-depth breakdown of the golf course, which comes out around uh, late Monday morning to uh, Monday midday, which is essentially a far more in-depth version of this podcast. I actually give you my full model inputs in that one. So if you want to build a version of my model or something close to that, you can find that article on the site. Plus my season long fantasy league weekly rankings, all three of my season long fantasy golf teams, even the one that I auto drafted are off to a pretty good, if not great start. I won uh, all three of my matchups this week. It's looking like I'm recording this on Sunday morning before the Amex is completed. But if you are in a season long fantasy golf league, hit me up. I may be able to help you with strategy, waiver wire advice, who to drop, who to pick up, who to start. I love talking season long fantasy golf with people. And the only way to do that is in that Rick Run Good Slack channel. And then finally, my Wednesday final thoughts DraftKings article, which I guess will come out like Tuesday afternoon this week. Because remember, this tournament starts on Wednesday. Pretty nightmarish scenario for someone like me who has to put out 11 pieces of content in a three-day stretch between Monday uh, and Wednesday. So fitting that into two days, I'm not looking forward to. But that DFS article is probably my favorite one that I write, not just because I hopefully convince you all to play a 9% JT Poston, but that article really focuses more on weather and ownership, which if you are playing DFS and not paying attention to those two things... Good luck. Um, so you can find pretty much an in-depth, and when I say in-depth, my course previews are around 3,500 to 5,000 words, and the DFS article isn't far behind. Uh, but between those and the Slack channel, I'm pretty much giving you everything I, I've got <laughs> when it comes to uh 
preparation for a golf tournament, um, whether that be through betting or DFS. And that isn't even including all of the data tools, ownership, model builder, and everything else that you get with the site. My stuff that I do for them is just completely bonus. But if you want to help me out for all that I provide for the site, please type in Andy in the code section. It helps me far more than you know. So sign up today, rickrengood.com, promo code Andy when you sign up, and we would love to have you as part of the team. All right. I really do not have much to say this week at the top. Um, I just have a ton of really good stuff on Torrey Pines. I've been to this tournament four times, including the U.S. Open. I've played this golf course. Um, so let's dive right in. Farmers Insurance Open. Uh, this or, this tournament orig- this tournament originated at the Sa- as the San Diego Open in 1952. So it's been around for a while. Um, and the first two editions were played at San Diego Country Club and Rancho Santa Fe Golf Club. It moved around to multiple courses throughout the greater San Diego area in the 1960s for officially beginning its present relationship with Torrey Pines in La Jolla, California in 1968, a public 36-hole golf facility owned by the city of San Diego. So in the current tournament setup, players will split their first 36 holes between the north and south courses, uh, and then those who make the cut will play their final 36 holes at the south course. Certainly the more quote-unquote acclaimed of the two courses, the south course is the one that has hosted the U.S. Open twice, won by Tiger Woods in 2008 and allegedly by John Rahm in 2021, even though he objectively hit the ball out of bounds on Sunday on the ninth hole, which, for those that don't know, is a dead straight par five, like every hole at Torrey Pines. Um, It's essentially just a runway with a fairly large margin for error on both sides, and Rom hit it dead left into the trees where it came to rest on the other side of this large green fence constructed by the tournament for the sole reason of keeping balls out of this area. So he hit the ball into this area on the other side of the fence that they built to keep balls out of that area. And then when he started looking for a for the ball, a rules official told him that he was eligible for TIO, which stands for temporary immovable object, even though the tournament itself built that fence specifically to keep balls out of it. I remained confused about how a fence built by tournament organizers is a temporary immovable object. In fact, it is quite simply the opposite of a temporary immovable object. It is an intentionally unmovable object. As a result, Rom got a free drop, uh, which, by the way, the one thing I do really appreciate uh, with Rom is his brutal honesty. And, of course, on-course reporter John Wood, who was standing next to Rom, was like, yeah, even Rom was like, why am I getting a free drop? But 
He ended up punching out, sticking his third to three feet and making birdie to move within one stroke of the leader at the time, which is Bryson DeChambeau, who ended up completely imploding on the next hole and the rest of rest is history. But so I digress. Um, I'm really excited for this tournament. And I say that as somebody who is on the record about believing that Torrey Pines is one of the greatest architectural failures of the last century, given the piece of land that it sits on. From an architectural standpoint, it is one of the worst uses of one of the best pieces of property in the United States, uh, in one of the most wonderful places in the country. I have been to this tournament three times. I've also been to the U.S. Open here. I've also played the course this summer. If you are not a resident of San Diego, do not play this golf course. Uh, It is up there with Doral as one of the worst uh, public golf values in the country. If you are not a resident of San Diego, if you are a resident of San Diego, it's actually pretty fair. But if you are not a resident of San Diego, uh, it's just way too expensive for what it is. I mean, I don't really get angry with the prices of public golf courses often. I play a lot of public golf. Uh, and there are times when I play a course and I feel like it's overpriced, but it's not like insultingly overpriced. Tory Pines is an insult to the non-residents of San Diego. And hey, that's fine. This is owned by the city of San Diego. It should be a hell of a lot cheaper for the residents of San Diego. But it is nothing short of egregious if you aren't a resident of San Diego. And thank God I had really good company that day. Shout out Kenergy. Uh, Ken Nagels on Twitter, one of the best guys you ever meet. But my God, that place is overpriced. Um, so yeah, I'm not really a fan of this golf course. I'll explain a little bit more why later on this podcast, but I'm a huge fan of this tournament. And I think most people can hopefully understand the difference. First of all, for a lot of people, you know, this kind of feels like opening day of the golf season. It's a really good field. Uh, Yes, we have already seen most of the elite players at Kapalua, but, you know, Kapalua feels like more of a scrimmage or a warm up. This is a real tournament on a real golf course, the first golf course all year where you're going to have to hit long iron shots and good players and bad players will be separated by their ball striking skill, not by their ability to make putts. Um, And to me, this is the first real barometer to see where some of the elite players are at heading into the masters Kapalua. I don't think you're going to learn much about the state of players games heading into Augusta. Torrey Pines is the first tournament where it's like, okay, you can't fake this one. Who, who of these guys has it right now and who doesn't have it. And for this reason, I actually think this is one of the easier tournaments to break down and handicap on tour. And it's a tournament that I've had a lot of success at before. I remember the 2021 US Open uh was like my first really good DraftKings week ever um where for the first time I actually felt like I started to understand how to play DraftKings better. Shout out 1% Francesco Molinari that I went all in for some reason that year. Um, I did not hit Luke Less last year. I remember I went back and listened to my podcast 
And I literally said, okay, the only player that is even close to John Rahm for some reason in my model is Luke Lest, but I don't care. I don't trust it. I'm not going to bet it. It's Luke Lest. And uh, that was one of my least proud decision-making moments of my golf season last year. But it's still a golf course that I think I have figured out really well now, not just because I've played the golf course or been to this tournament so many times now, but it's just a course I've gotten really familiar with. But, you know, like I alluded to earlier, this is not one of those tournaments like the American Express where every single player in the field can win. I do believe that you need to possess a certain skill set here. Of course, there are some rare exceptions like always in golf that we can talk about. But when you run through the list of the winners here, Luke Liss, Patrick Reed, Mark Leishman, Justin Rose, Jason Day, John Rahm, Brant Snedeker, Jason Day, Scott Stallings, Tiger Woods. I mean, those are just the last 10 years. It's a lot more Tiger before that. But at a bird's eye view, Patrick Reed and Brant Snedeker, Snedeker actually won here twice, are really the only outliers, really, in terms of guys that don't possess this very specific skill set of elite driving and elite iron play. Um, The fact that Snedeker has won on this course twice, where the vast majority of everyone else that has won here or played well here are elite drivers of the ball and elite long iron players. Um, Occasionally, you will get the Patrick Reed, Alex Noren type who just chip everything in. But for the most part, this is a Tony Finau golf course. It's a John Rahm golf course. It is a Jason Day in his peak golf course. It's a Victor Hovland course. And I dug into this a little bit. The both times that Snedeker won, he lost strokes off the tee, which is hard to imagine that you can do that and win at Torrey. But it is possible because he gained a ton of strokes around the green and putting. And he was awesome on the much easier north course. So I think that's a really underrated part of the formula. Uh, 2016 in brutal condition, she shot 69 on the north course. 2012 in easier condition, she shot 64 on the north coast. North course. So the north course, which we'll talk about a little bit later, is much easier than the south course um, and does favor shorter players a lot more players of all different skill sets a lot more so there is a formula here to win without being john rom or jason day off the tee but you have to go super fucking well on the north course and your short game has to be absolutely absolutely elite And you probably have to hope for harder conditions so more players are relying on their short game. Like last year with Reed, it didn't play as hard as the second Snedeker year, but it played harder than it usually does, right? And Reed gained 8.4 strokes around the green and putting last year. You know, so you can do it. Norrin, Alex Norrin finished second a couple years ago. Mackenzie Hughes led the U.S. Open on Saturday over the weekend. So, you know, one thing that I actually think is really important that I can't emphasize enough, especially for DraftKings, you are going to hear a lot. I'm making a content prediction here. 
um, that there are a lot of players that just simply cannot win at this course. And I would say the better way to look at it is, is that there are certain players that, that have a much easier roadmap. And that's why I actually think there's a really good DraftKings week because group think usually tends to develop at a course like Torrey Pines. And don't get me wrong, like a lot of that group think is true. I agree with a lot of the prevailing narratives surrounding a course like Torrey Pines, which essentially, if you boil it down, is like, okay, this is a course for bombers off the tee and great long iron players. And if you are not a bomber off the tee or a great long iron player, you better have an awesome short game. Like that idea is not wrong, but if you play DraftKings the way that I play DraftKings, you're basically saying, okay, but what if that doesn't happen? And we have seen enough examples of that before at this course where you're able to get a really nice discount on a guy that doesn't have perceived length off the tee or because, you know, they aren't long off the tee. People just assume that they aren't good long iron players, which is why I always tell people, don't just necessarily look at pure length. Look at how players have performed on longer courses. So, for example, Patrick Reed, Brian Harmon, Mackenzie Hughes is a little bit this way too, but those are two to three guys that are really short players, but they still end up having their fair share of success on longer golf courses because what you also get at a longer golf course is a low greens and regulation percentage. So if you have a really, really elite short game, sometimes that means that you're still able to find a ton of success on longer golf courses, which goes back to the Justin Thomas quote that I always think about where when JT was asked, I think on the No Laying Up podcast, uh, what is the biggest key in your opinion to winning major championships? And he said short game. Um, And I think a lot of people would have guessed that the answer would be ball striking, but he said short game. And I've, I've always thought about that. So let's dive into the specs of these courses before we run through the important stats. Um, let's get the North course out of the way quickly because we will be focusing far less on the North course because there's no shot tracker on the North course and it's only one round. And I talked about how going low on the North course is a really important, important part of winning this tournament. So I do have a fairly strong weight on course history at the North course, but that's really about it. The North course is a lot easier. Um, that's the reason why when a U.S. Open comes to Torrey Pines, it is played at the South course. The North course was designed in 1957 by William Bell with a 2016 renovation by Tom Weiskopf. It's a par 72 measuring just 7,258 yards. So almost about 500 yards shorter than the South course. The fairways are Bermuda grass overseeded with rye. The rough is Kikuyu grass uh, with rye grass, three inches. Um, so still a thick rough. Uh, Kikuyu rough can get really squirmy, by the way. I don't know how many listeners are familiar with Kikuyu rough because it's only in a very specific part of the country that I happen to live in, but we'll touch a little bit more on that later. 6,000 
square foot greens that are bent grass. And I think that's the key. So outside of the pure length, um, there the other big thing to note that I think makes the North Course so much easier is that it has bent grass greens. Um, and pure bent grass greens, as I'll talk about much later when we get into POA, are a lot easier to putt on and to figure out. And so the North Course actually typically ranks as one of the easier courses on the entire PGA Tour. Two of the last three years, it's ranked inside the top 10 in easiest scoring average, which is a huge dichotomy from the South Course, which annually ranks inside the top 10 in hardest courses. But like I said, it's pretty short. North course is pretty short by tour standards and it features four really gettable par fives. None of them are over 556 yards. They are all reachable by pretty much everyone in the field. Uh, there are two drivable par fours, seven holes on the course that have above a 20% birdie rate. Um, and the greens are a lot easier to hit here than the South course because they're just bigger and you're going to have more wedge shots. It's a short enough course that you can take driver a lot here and not be super concerned if you don't hit the fairway because, you know, similar to the Bryson method, if you're hitting wedges out of this rough, that's fine. And the fairways are pretty narrow here anyway. So most players are already missing them. And if you want to account for a little more North course stuff, I would say that par fives are really important at the North course. So take a look at par five scoring. Really important that you take advantage of the par fives on the North course, um, I guess, and the South course. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline for that matter, but especially the North. Um, Okay, let's talk about the South course, which was also designed by William Bell with a Reese Jones (sighs) redesign in 2001 and 2019. It is a par 72 measuring 7,765 yards 
It was the longest course on the PGA Tour last year, including the majors, and it featured the second longest set of par fours slash par fives on the PGA Tour last year, again, including the majors. Bermuda grass fairways overseeded with ryegrass, Kikuyu grass with uh, ryegrass rough measuring three inches, 5,000 square foot greens with Poa Anna that run 11.5 on the stimp, 26 yard wide fairways that are very narrow by tour standards. These are the third most narrow fairways on the PGA Tour. Uh, they are under half the size of the plantation course for contact. So, it's really hard to hit fairways here. Driving accuracy is only 52% compared to the tour average of 62%. It's really hard to hit greens here. Greens in regulation percentage is 62% compared to the tour average of 66%. And it's really hard to get up and down here. Scrambling percentage is only 51% compared to the tour average of 58%. Add all of that up together and... Torrey Pine South is annually one of the top 10 most difficult courses on the schedule. Last year, actually ranked easier than normal as the 11th hardest course on the PGA Tour. Uh, But it routinely ranks inside the top 10 for the past decade. Last year, it had the 16th toughest par threes on the PGA Tour, the 7th toughest par fours on the PGA Tour, and the 10th toughest par fives on the PGA Tour. Um, all right, so here's the thing about Tory Pines and Reese Jones designs in general, which I have played a lot of. He designed my home course in Los Angeles. He actually, two years ago, just did a massive redesign of that course. So I've had the benefit of being able to meet him, being on a couple of uh, member Zoom calls with Reese. I got to ask him a couple questions. I've got a complicated relationship with old Reese. Um and I say old Reese because I think he's uh, he's come he's nearing the end of his career. Uh, but I think the work that he did on my home course uh, is definitely a lot more interesting than what he's done at Torrey Pines. Torrey Pines is a very strategically homogenous course. Now, what do I mean when I say that? Uh, what I mean is it asks you to do the same thing pretty much over and over and over and over and over again, which is why that it is a course that you are never going to hear talked about in architecture circles. But I think it serves a nice purpose on the PGA Tour. I think it's a terrible U.S. Open venue, but I think it's a nice PGA Tour venue. Um, I'll explain why a little bit more later, but to get more specific, most of the par fours on this course are very similar. They're pretty much straight away. Some have a little bit of a dog leg, but for the most part, it's the same strategy on every par four. Bomb away off the tee. Most of the par threes are very similar. And what Torrey Pines basically asks you to do over and over again is... Can you hit your driver long and straight? Can you hit a fi- a high four iron and get it to stop on a small green? That is what you have to do on 14 of 18 holes at Torrey Pines, right? So it's that's the problem with Reese Jones. That is the problem with this course from an architectural standpoint. There is no strategy 
to Tor Pines. It is a pure execution test. And that's why I actually think it's a good PGA Tour venue because it separates the best players from the worst players by basically asking the same question over and over and over again. And guess what? What do you know? The best players in the world are better at answering that question. Um, almost 50% of all pro shots this week come from over 127, 175 yards. 27% come from over 200 um, historically. And this year, that number raised even 34%. So I think that's the highest percentage of on tour of, of percentage of shots coming over 200 yards. And seven of the par fours are over 450 yards. All the par threes are over 175 yards. There's no character to this course. There's no color to this course. There's no personality to this course. There's no drivable par fours or super interesting, dramatic par fives. There's no, there's, there's no color here at all. It's basically asking you, do you have a specific shot in your arsenal, a long iron shot? And John Rahm has that shot in his arsenal. In fact, he's one of the best long iron players in the world. Bryson has that shot in his arsenal. Brooks has that shot in his arsenal. Rory has that shot in his arsenal. Xander has that shot in his arsenal. Jason Day has that shot in his arsenal. Mark Leishman, Tony Finau, Hideki, Hovland, right? These are the types of players that can carry it 315 yards off the tee and can hit a high four iron and get it to stop on a small green. And that's that's the reason why you see good leaderboards at Torrey Pines, right? Like the dumbest argument I've ever heard in my life is, oh, how can you say Torrey Pines is a bad U.S. Open venue? Look at the leaderboard. It's like, dude, the reason why the leaderboard is so good is because it's the blandest fucking course on the PGA Tour, Right. All it is doing is accentuating the players who are the best in the world's greatest skill set and not giving anyone else a fucking chance, right? This isn't like the stadium course or YLI where, you know, those guys like John Rahm and Jason Day and, and Rory McIlroy at some of those shorter courses on the PGA Tour, which are actually sometimes more interesting to me, those guys' biggest advantage can get mitigated. And you could see a guy like Brian Gay or Mark Wilson have just as good of a chance to win. If you are not long off the tee, if you are not an elite long iron player, um, then you are starting at a disadvantage at Torrey Pines before anyone tees it up, right? I say this before, but, you know, John Rahm starts on second base anytime he plays Torrey Pines. Tony Finau starts on second base, right? Xander Shoffley, Rory McIlroy, these guys start on second base anytime they play Torrey Pines. Doesn't mean that a Patrick Reed can't win. Doesn't mean that Brant Snedeker can't win. But you better go low on the easier course, and you better chip and putt your ass off. Um, so, all right, let's take a quick break and then dive into the stats that I think you want to look at. Okay, so off the tee, last year, Torrey Pines ranked 14th 
Out of 38 courses in strokes gains off the tee difficulty in each of the last 10 years, it has ranked harder than tour average in strokes gain off the tee difficulty, often finding itself inside the top 10. The course featured the third most narrow fairways on the PGA Tour last year and had the sixth lowest driving accuracy on the PGA Tour as well. It ranked 25th out of 38 courses in missed fairway penalty, 11th out of 38 courses in rough penalty, and 34th out of 38 courses in non-rough penalty, uh, and 25th out of 38 courses in fraction of missed fairways that resulted in a penalty stroke. So what does that tell us about driving at Torrey Pines? Essentially, the fairways are so narrow that even the most accurate drivers of the ball will not be hitting them. So I do not think that you want to be looking at any accuracy metrics here. So what happens in that case? Longer players gain an inherent advantage. An extreme example of this would be what happened at the 2020 U.S. Open at Wingfoot, which has even more narrow fairways than Torrey Pines and even thicker rough than Torrey Pines. Not by a great deal, but that would be an extreme advantage of what happens at Torrey Pines. At Wingfoot, the fairways were so narrow and the rough was so thick that it literally all came down to distance. And like I said, Torrey Pines is a less extreme example of this, but it, it embodies a similar I- idea because the rough at Torrey is pretty thick, as evidenced by the fact that it ranks 11th on the PGA Tour in rough penalty. So this is, you know, has like the 11th most difficult rough to hit out of on the PGA Tour. Um, and because the fairways are so narrow, even the most accurate drivers are going to miss them. So essentially what that means is that you ideally want to be hacking wedges and short irons out of this rough as opposed to long irons out of this rough, you know, and that's why some players are like kind of dead on arrival here if they are short and inaccurate, where we talked about some of the courses early on already in the schedule where you're not dead on arrival like you are at Torrey Pines if you are short and a little bit inaccurate. But I would not even dream of playing somebody here who has below average distance and below average accuracy unless they're an absolutely filthy, nasty short game player, a la Patrick Reed. Again, these players can have success here, but Patrick Reed is a massive outlier. You know, he's probably going to end up getting a little bit lost to time because he went to live. But you ask anyone on the PGA Tour, Patrick Reed has one of the best short games of the last 50 years. I mean, he should not widely be used as an example of a short and inaccurate player that can compete here. So for this reason, I think the main driving stats that you want to look at are, you know, pure length off the tee and how players perform off the tee on longer courses with narrow fairways, right? Because to me, at Torrey Pines, it's very, very simple. You want to be as far up close to the green as possible. Because when you're hitting long irons out of that rough, you're just not, the greens are too small and firm. You're not going to hit greens. You're just not going to hit greens if you're, if you're hacking four irons and five irons out of the rough all day. 
So that is extremely, extremely important here. I would say that like how you perform off the tee at Torrey Pines is more important than a lot of places because again, it eliminates a certain type of player off the tee that just, again, gives them a really fucking hard roadmap. Whereas players who are long and ideally accurate too have their advantage gets accentuated um, against shorter and inaccurate players. Like that advantage grows. The gap grows at a place like Torrey Pines. Um, now on approach, uh, last year, Torrey Pines had the 14th most difficult green state on the PGA Tour. And each of the past 10 years, it has ranked inside the top 15 and toughest greens to hit on the PGA Tour. So it's not insanely difficult to hit greens at Torrey Pines. It's harder to hit fairways at Torrey Pines than it is to hit greens at Torrey Pines. They're small greens, but they're not as small compared to other courses on the PGA Tour that the fairways are narrow compared to other courses on the PGA Tour. And the main reason why players miss greens on this course is because the course is long and the fairways are difficult to hit. So again, you're not going to hit many greens hacking five and six irons out of the rough. Um, But there's nothing tricky about these greens i mean like i said it's a reese jones design it's all out in front of you they're heavily bunkered right the greens are well guarded by bunkers but there's not a lot of undulation or color or character to these greens last year tory pines ranked 26 out of 38 courses in approach difficulty and it routinely ranks slightly easier than tour average in approach difficulty which you know, just speaks to the fact that it all comes down to length on this course. There's nothing tricky about the approach shots or the greens. It's simply all about length. You're not going to see giant slopes on these greens that move the ball away from the hole. You're not going to see giant slopes on these greens where when the ball hits the green, it takes a wild bounce and rolls off the green. There's none of that at Torrey Pines, right? It's all out in front of you. It's simply about length. It's about asking a very straightforward question over and over again. Um, And the proximity buckets that fall above Tor average, Torrey Pines last year, were 150 to 175 and 200 yards plus. Historically, 175 to 200 yards has been more important. Last year, felt like a bit of an anomaly with the lack of approach shots from 175 to 200 and the fact that they were way more from 200 yards. But historically, two-thirds of approach shots at Torrey Pines have come from over 150 yards. So through and through, this is a mid to long iron course, particularly a long iron course. Last year, 34% of approach shots, this is number one on the PGA Tour, have come from over 200 yards. That number falls closer to like 27% historically, but still that is one of the heaviest, if not the heaviest um, long iron course on the PGA Tour. And this will be, you know, probably the heaviest that I will be on long iron play all season. I cannot emphasize how massively important approaches 
from over 200 yards this week is. I, I cannot emphasize how important that is. One Over 150 yards just in general, but there are so many more long iron shots on this course than your typical PGA Tour course. Um, and we'll talk about around the green next, but I will continue to emphasize how important it is to hit the green here. So when it comes to short game, last year, 18.8% of strokes uh, strokes gained at Torrey Pines came around the green, which is very healthily above the tour average of 14.5%. That, does, that number does fall historically a lot closer to tour average, but this is still a course that always ranks above average in the importance of short game. Um, last year, Torrey Pines ranked 17th in strokes gained around the green difficulty. And each of the last 10 years, it is ranked right around tour average and around the green difficulty, you know, which again comes down to the fact that there's very little color and undulation to these green complexes. The defense is simply that putting on POA is just hard as hell. So last year, Torrey Pines ranked 24th out of 38 courses in strokes gained around the green difficulty from the fairway, 5th um, out of 38 courses on strokes gained around the green difficulty from the rough, and 24th out of 38 courses in around the green difficulty from the bunkers. There's nothing crazy or difficult about the green complexes here. But chipping out of Kikuyu Rough is certainly not for everyone. F- ranking fifth last year was a bit of an anomaly. It usually ranks right around middle of the pack to slightly harder in terms of strokes gained around difficulty from the rough. But there always seems to be a strong correlation at this course between players with elite short game and success, and especially the players that finish like. 10 through 30 on the leaderboard because there's only so many guys that are elite long iron players and elite drivers of the ball. So the guys that like finish 10 through 30 that make the cut here, right? I'm talking about this is something to really pay attention to short game um, for like DFS guys under $7,500 this week. Really look at short game. Right. Last year, 13 of the top 15 players gained strokes around the green. And the fact that I believe the reason why I'm probably heavier on around the green play at this course than most and why I think around the green play is so important here is twofold. Number one, it's on the lower side in greens and regulation. So anytime you have a course with a lower than average greens and regulation, that's just going to make short game more important. That's that's just volume, right? That's just straight up math. But the main reason why I believe short game is so essential at this course, and I'll talk about this will kind of all come together more so when I talk about POA, but putting on POA inside five feet, inside 10 feet is so incredibly difficult. It's the hardest course on tour putting inside 10 feet. Um, short putts on POA can make you go absolutely nuts and you have such a leg up, especially over time. If you can chip consistently to tap in range because a five footer at Torrey Pines is so much harder than a five footer at 
your other standard PGA Tour course. Each of the last 10 years, Torrey Pines has been the hardest course or the second hardest course putting inside five feet. So the difference between a player that can consistently chip it to two feet instead of five feet over time, that is going to create some massive separation because you are going to, this is, this is for all my tilters out here that are following shot tracker on Thursday and Friday. Do not be surprised if your players miss more five footers this week than you're used to seeing. And so the players that can chip it consistently to two feet or inside tap-in range, as opposed to five feet, that is going to create far more separation over time on this course than other courses. So, you know, I'm not doing anything funky with grass type. I am just looking for long-term true strokes gained around the green over a large sample size because I think it's incredibly important, again, especially towards the bottom of the board where you're not going to find as many elite ball strikers who are the best players in the world and around the green play, right? Because you are inevitably, especially once again, closer to the bottom of the board where you're not going to find as many elite ball strikers. Who are the guys that can chip it to two feet more consistently than the guys that chip it to five feet? Uh, and then putting. So last year, 33.1% of strokes gained at Torrey Pines have come putting, which is well below the tour average of 35.6. Again, that is a bit of an anomaly. The event average has been a lot closer to tour average. Um, last year, Torrey Pines ranked third out of 38 courses in putting difficulty. And eight of the last 10 years, it has ranked inside the top five in strokes gained putting difficulty, which again has nothing to do with the undulation or contouring of these greens. Poa just happens to be a really fucking tricky surface to put on. Um, and so let's talk about Poe Greens because, again, if you're not from a very sp specific part of the country, chances are you are unfamiliar with Poa. Um, it's just a really difficult surface to put on if you aren't familiar with it because it's really splotchy and it's a lot more inconsistent. So they're going to be, and again, this comes into play a lot more with the short putts, but there's just going to be these subtle internal movements on POA because it's in, because it's a more inconsistent grass. And I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but when I say inconsistent grass, I basically saying that like the tiny blades of grass on the green with POA grains are not as similar or not as close to each other as like a pure bank grass. I mean, again, whole other podcast, but this West Coast POA, which is, again, very different from East Coast POA. East Coast POA is usually blended with bent grass, um, which makes it easier. And you will see that a lot of U.S. Open sites on the East Coast, an Oakmont, a Shinnecock, a Winged Foot, even some PGA Tour courses like TPC River Highlands, I believe Detroit Golf Club habit. It's pretty common in the Northeast um, to have POA mixed in with bent. But West Coast POA, a West Coast pure POA with no bent grass, is kind of that dark green, almost patchy, 
splotchy surface that you see at Pebble Beach and Riviera, it looks a lot splotchier than Pebble at Pebble Beach and Torrey Pines than it does at Riviera because, again, those courses are in an environment with a marine layer, right? And there's a far less sunshine at Torrey Pines and Pebble Beach, whereas at Riviera, you're basically inside this giant canyon where all the light is reflecting to the course. So that's why the Riviera greens look a lot more lighter in color than that dark green than you kind of see at Pebble and Torrey. Um, but th- a lot of players just don't like POA. Um, you're going to see a lot of misses inside five and 10 feet this week. It's m- way more of an inconsistent surface than a pure bent grass or even a grainy Bermuda. Um, and that's why you see, you know, three putt percentage be way higher than tour standards. That's why you see way more putts missed inside five feet than tour average, way more putts missed inside 10 feet than tour average. Um, again, all of this is not because the greens are pretty flat at Torrey Pines. It's not because there's any undulation. There's, they're not interesting greens, just like Pebble Beach, not a lot of contours, but they still give players fits because some of these guys just don't like POA and POA is a confident surface. So what's going to happen is you're going to think you hit a five foot putt perfectly and it's going to miss and you're going to get really fucking pissed. Right. And so here's a, this is a quote from Brant Snedeker, you know, one of the best POA putters ever um, describing kind of what I'm talking about with POA. What I love most about POA is you have to be aggressive and you have to hit a putt almost perfect. You've got to give it a chance to go in. You've got to get it rolling hard on the green. Again, unlike Augusta where you can kind of, bent grass is so pure that you can kind of dive, dive the ball in the hole. There's more inconsistent grass around the cup at POA. So you almost have to putt firmer on the short putts. So any of those guys that you think are like die putters or see the ball kind of roll gently into the hole, you almost have to think about putting differently because if a ball starts to run out of steam close to the hole on POA, it's just going to run out of steam, right? And you might just hit a bigger blade of grass than you're used to seeing. Um, And back to the Snedeker course, You've got to get it roll, uh, the Snedeker quote, you've got to get it rolling hard on the green. And I think that's what my stroke does best because I putt aggressively. I get the ball rolling really fast, right? Some of those guys that like knock their five footers in the back of the cup, those are the guys that are going to do well on POA. And this is Snedeker again now. But when you do that, the ball holds its line. When you hit the ball firmer on POA, the ball holds its line. But if you miss a putt a little bit or hit a weak putt, it's just going to bump off its line. And I love it. This is Snedeker talking. I love it because it eliminates half the guys like Kevin Kisner, just complete drive by on Kisner. Um, Guys like Kevin Kisner don't like Pella and they don't want to be on it. So that makes my putting even better because they don't want to be a part of it. And if they get a bad bounce, they think the greens are awful. And that helps me. Um, 
end quote from Snedeker. So this is true. There are a lot of guys on the PGA Tour that will tell you that they hate POA, and uh, most of those guys aren't playing this week. So like I said, the stats completely back this up as well. Each of the last three years, Torrey Pines has been the hardest or the second hardest course in putting inside five feet. Each of the past 10 years, it is ranked inside uh, the top eight toughest courses in putting from five to 15 feet. And it gets a lot easier from over 15 feet because the greens, like I said, they're actually really easy to read. There's not a lot of undulation at all. Poa just gives you a lot of weird bounces. So relatively speaking, short putting at Torrey Pines is far, far harder than lag putting. And I think it's safe to say that statistically, Torrey Pines is the toughest course, the toughest course to putt on inside 10 feet. Um, so I have a, again, hopefully this is a way that my model can separate itself from others. Um, but I have a really heavy weight on putting inside 10 feet this week. Um, and I am, of course, looking at the best poet putters. So I think there are a lot of people that are going to look at Torrey Pines and give you a lot of ball striking, ball striking, ball striking talk, which is true. You know, you have to be a great ball striker here. But I cannot emphasize enough how important putting inside 10 feet and uh, putting on Poa is. And I talk about that a lot more in the article where I really go into like identifying, okay, who are the guys that putt well on Poa? Who are the guys that putt well consistently inside 10 feet? How should you look at putting inside 10 feet? Should you look at it from a short sample size, a long sample size? How should you look at POA putting? You know, what courses in terms of POA putting really matter? Do you really want to have stats that are skewed from East Coast POA? In my opinion, no. You want to be specifically looking at the guys that putt well at Torrey Pines, Riviera, and Pebble Beach. Right. So again, a lot more in the article about the POA stuff, but I am, I am very, very heavy on both POA putting and putting inside 10 feet, uh, scoring stats. So there are a lot of things that you could put into your model on this course that I think are totally acceptable, whether it be bogey avoidance or strokes gain total on tougher conditions, scrambling, any of those things. The thing that I mainly wanted to emphasize and look at is simply long golf courses, right? I simply just want to find players that perform well on long golf courses because, again, I don't think that Torrey Pines has any personality. Its personality is its length, right? Its length, it's the longest course on the PGA Tour, and outside of the fact that it has these really weird POA greens, the course is basically defined by its length right? That is the defining feature of Torrey Pines. So I spent a lot of time looking at the players that uh, have been the best on longer courses. And they're like a lot of comp courses that you can kind of look at for this that I didn't feel the need to look at specifically, but like your Quail Hollows, your Muirfield Villages, your Bay Hills. These are all courses that are on the longer and more difficult side. Um, and generally, you're going to see a lot of the same names pop up at courses like that and Torrey Pines as well as the major championships, which I'll, I'll talk about in a little bit uh, soon when we get into course history and, and, you know, comp course history. So in terms of course history, 
I kind of go back and forth on this one because there definitely is a strong course history correlation here because this is a decently, I mean, it ranks 13th out of 38 courses in course history correlation. So it's above average in terms of course history correlation, but it's nothing like YY or Augusta or even Bay Hill or Harbor Town. Um, where, you know, there's this giant correlation for players that play well here every single year. And I think a lot of that is because Torrey Pines is an execution golf course. So, for example, a guy like Jason Day and Justin Rose, who have historically been great at Torrey Pines in their prime, but are not the same golfers that they were in the mid-2000s, those guys aren't going to be able to just show up at Torrey Pines and play well because they have in the past. Because Torrey Pines is an execution golf course, right? Like, I would rather take somebody like Victor Hovland that has a skill set for Torrey Pines than somebody that has played great at Torrey Pines in like 2018 but isn't playing great now because it's so much of an execution-based golf course. Does that make sense? Um, But, you know, I I do think there are a large group of players that you're probably going, you know, unless there's like some giant weird slump that they're going through, that you're going to see here pretty much every single year. Because again, it is a very specific type of skill set that succeeds here. So, you know, and again, that goes by, back to why I think this is like one of the easier handicapping weeks because it's pretty easy to tell looking at a player's stats whether or not they're going to play well at Torrey Pines. There's not a lot of randomness in terms of the guys that you would think play well here. Like I'll give you the top 10 players in average strokes gained per round minimum um, on the South course. And it's pretty much the players that you would think it is. Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Louis Oosthuizen, who isn't as powerful of a driver as those guys, but is such an elite long iron player. Has a really good short game too. Adam Scott, Carl Schwartzel. Again, really good long iron player, really good short game. Um, You're going to notice that there is a correlation between players that play well at Augusta and play well at Torrey Pines. And that has absolutely nothing to do with the architecture of the courses or the agronomy of the courses. Architecturally, these courses couldn't be any more different. But they do kind of ask you the exact same thing, right? They kind of, Augusta asks you these questions in a much more interesting way. And how you solve the get to the answers is going to be far more interesting and fun to watch than it is at Torrey Pines. But both Augusta and Torrey Pines basically ask you four big questions. Can you hit the ball a long way off the tee? Are you an elite long iron player? Do you have an elite short game? And are you a really good putter inside 10 feet? Those four things are very, 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 those are like the main four things at both Augusta National and Torrey Pines. So, you know, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, but also Louis Oosthuizen, Adam Scott, Carl Schwartzel, you know, to fill out the top 10. 
after Scott and Schwartzel, it's Will Zalatoris, Brant Snedeker, who we've talked about as the outlier, but he's actually been really good at Augusta. But then you have Sergio Garcia, who's won at Augusta, Charles Howell, and again, Sergio and Charles Howell, both great drivers of the ball and great long iron players. And then you have Xander Shoffley and Bubba Watson. So again, great drivers of the ball, long off the tee, and good long iron players. Um, in fact, nine of the top 10 players in uh, true strokes gained at Torrey Pines have finished top five at the Masters. Five of the top 10 players um, in true strokes gained at Torrey Pines have won the Masters. Um, so, you know, again, there's nothing architecturally similar about these two courses, but they just happen to ask you the same questions. And the contrary to looking a ton at course history at Torrey Pines is, like I said, this is such an execution-based golf course. Um, so, like, could a player like Victor Hovland show up here in his first appearance and just, like, immediately have success? And the, and the answer is yes. And I actually, you know, he finished runner-up here in his second appearance. So, if you have the skill set that I already outlined, you can just immediately play well here because there's no nuance to this course. The only thing that you really want to pay attention to is the West Coast POA thing because I think if you're really comfortable on POA, if you grew up playing POA, you have a huge advantage. If you are like a Southeastern Bermuda SEC guy, and it's your first time showing up at Torrey Pines and you haven't played much golf on the West on the West Coast, I'm out. Right? So if you're betting a newcomer or you're playing a newcomer in DraftKings, maybe look at what college they went to. Are they a Pac-12 guy or are they an SEC guy? Um, like you look at the guys who've had a lot of success here, a lot of West Coast guys. It's not a coincidence. Tiger Woods, West Coast guys, Stanford, Rom, Pac-12 guy, Morikawa, who's just immediately been good here, Pac-12 guy, Xander, who seems to finally figure this place out, you know, San Diego guy, Snedeker just continues to be the king outlier of everything. Um, uh, he's from Tennessee and went to Vanderbilt, but you know, all these San Diego Pac-12 West Coast guys, Phil's been really good here. Patrick Rogers has oddly been really good here. Charlie Hoffman, J.J. Spawn, like you get the point. These are the guys that are going to have more success. So just to recap before we get to the model, another thing that I want to touch on, and again, this is already a trend that you know everybody knows about now at this point with the shorter winners. Um, but outside of Scott Stallings in 2014, every single winner, oh, uh, and Luke Less, by the way, who is above 60 to one, I believe. So each of the, so nine of the last 11 winners years, the winner has been under 60 to one, even both of Snedeker's wins. They came at times when Snedeker was playing really, really good golf. He was like 20 to one, both times he won Torrey Pines. Um, both times Jason Day won, he was under 22 to 1. Justin Rose was 14 to 1. Rom, Leishman, and Reed 
were in like the 40 to 50 range. But even so, none of those guys were total shockers. Um, And I think this makes sense with pretty much everything we've been talking about, right? If you have a very specific skill set of being long and accurate driver of the ball and an elite long iron player, your path here is a lot easier than everyone else. And what do you know? Those tend to be the guys that are at the top of the odds boards, right? So, you know, like at a tournament like the American Express where, you know, you can bet five, maybe not a good example because as we stand on Sunday morning, John Rahm is just bending the course over backwards. But that's a tournament where, and this is even scarier for how good John Rahm is, that is a course that like completely de-accentuates Rahm's skill set, right? So like now he's going to a course that completely accentuates his skill set. So like FYI, and I say this even considering the fact that he's he may win this week, he's probably going to win this week. Like if you're betting John Rahm at a really low number, like if you're betting John Rahm at 5 to 1, 6 to 1, 7 to 1, bet him at this course. Because this is a course where he starts on second base. So, you know, this is definitely a week where you want to gravitate more so towards the top of the board. And in fact, I may bet two guys into 18 to 30 range and call it a day. Like I said, I'm very curious to see how Xander plays on Sunday, how Will Zalatoris plays on Sunday, um, how Tony Finau plays on Sunday, obviously how John Rahm plays on Sunday. Um, because a lot of those guys are going to be at the top of the odds boards. And who knows, maybe it's JT that ends up being the guy with a little value. Maybe it's Morikawa. Maybe it's Hideki. It ain't going to be John Rahm, who might be 5-1 to this week in a pretty good field. Um, But, okay, so to summarize, here's what you want to look at. Are you long and accurate off the tee? Um, Accuracy is far from a must if you are long, but if you're not long— you better be straight because if you're hitting four irons out of Kikuyu, good luck. Good luck. Are you a good long iron player? Um, you know, who are the best in the world from 170 yards plus? Can you get up and down? Which I guess is a little bit less critical if you are a really good iron player. But if you're not a really good iron player, getting up and down becomes extremely critical and are you comfortable on poa greens right like that's it those are the four main questions that you need to answer at tory pines those are the four big check boxes are you long off the tee are you a great long iron player do you have a great short game and are you comfortable on poa and are a good putter inside 10 feet if you're not checking at least two of those boxes Total cross-off. Total cross-off, right? Ideally, you're checking four of those boxes, but there's maybe five players in the field that actually do that. There's probably, you know, 10 to 15 players in the field that check three out of the four boxes, and a lot of guys that check two boxes, and, you know, a lot more that check one of the box. But that's what you're looking for, right? You should look at this in four boxes, Putting inside 10 feet and POA putting. Are you a long driver of the ball and good on long courses? Are you a great long iron player? And do you have a great short game? And like, keep it very simple. 
Just ask if a player is checking off those specific boxes. So I threw all of this together in a model, and here's who it shot out. Number one, Tony Finau, who's been great at this course uh, and fits the skill set to a T. Number two, Xander Schauffele. Number three, John Rahm, of course. And John Rahm would be number one and probably should be number one. The only reason why he's not number one is because I run my stuff a little bit more long-term and John Rahm had a pretty shitty around the green season last year. And actually for his standards, a pretty shitty iron year last year, but it seems like he's turned a corner in both of those two skill sets. So I bet you very, very soon we are going back to the days of John Rahm being number one in the model, especially at a course like this. Um, but listen, the fact that Tony Finau is number one in my model in back-to-back weeks on two courses that could not be more different from each other just speaks to the fact that the level that Tony Finau is playing at right now. So number four, Will Zalatoris, number five, Justin Thomas, uh, number six, Sung JM, number seven, Max Homa, number eight, Hideki Matsuyama, number nine, Cameron Davis, who, my God, I'm starting to worry if this guy is a Ponzi scheme at this point. I, I can't hop off, but I was so confident that Cameron Davis would play well this week at the American Express. Really confident. Um, And really confident that he'd play better than T32 at the Sony Open, too. And uh, I think he missed the cup by, like, eight strokes. One of the more surprising developments. Um, So, I don't know. Maybe he's just, like, one of those guys that... And Harold Varner always used to fall into this category to like a much lesser extent. Ryan Armour falls into this category, but maybe Cam Davis is one of those better stats than performance guys. Um, TBD, but I'm not hopping off yet at this course when, you know, you're getting one of the best drivers of the ball, one of the longest drivers in the world with like a very solid short game very solid um he's a really good putter too good inside 10 feet and really good iron player like he's gonna be under 9k this week because he finished he missed the cup by like seven strokes and he was 8800 last week so you're not gonna find a player that checks all four boxes under 9k the way that cameron davis does so you know out of pure principle. And I hope the ownership is low because I can't really fault anyone for hopping off at this point. This week was a total disaster. Um, and he probably underperformed at the Sony too, given how popular he was. But you, I never quit before the miracles happen, and I'm going to trust my numbers on this one and go back to the well with him. I bet you we get a pretty juicy outright number on him too. But number nine, Cam Davis. Number 10, Siwoo Kim who's playing great golf right now. Another good week at the Amex. 11, Justin Rose. 12, Luke Lest, um, defending champion. 13, Colin Morikawa. 14, Wyndham Clark. Shout out um, Brian Kirshner, who will 
be on the podcast this week. I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about Windy C then. 15, Gary Woodland, which is not good for me because I'm a huge sucker for this guy, but I think this is a pretty good spot for him. 16, Emiliano Grio. 17, JJ Spawn. 18, Jonathan Vegas. 19, Matthew Neesmith. And 20, Thomas Dietrich. Um, so I will go into my early leans, uh, a lot more specifically on the odds checker betting show that I do with Jeff on Monday mornings. That one will absolutely be out on Monday morning this week. I apologize that I got pushed back a day last week. That was actually my fault, not Jeff's. Um, but you know, in, in, in full disclosure, like a lot of this to me is about pricing like there is a clear like Tony Finau Xander Shoffley John Rahm Will Zalatoris Justin Thomas Sung JM Max Homa Hideki Matsuyama and Colin Morikawa those nine players are the best players in this field and then it's like kind of a drop-off like it is a pretty top-heavy field um I you know I think that like the back end of this field feels like pretty bad to me compared to other Torrey Pine standards. So a lot of my betting strategy this week is going to be who is the one out of those nine players and all nine of them pretty much check all the boxes that I'm looking for. Um, You know, some have better short games than others. Some are better putters than others. But for the most part, all nine of those guys, including Max Homa, who's made like massive, massive improvements to his long iron play and his driving in the last year, which of those nine guys is going to be the most undervalued, right? It may be Justin Thomas. It may be Max Homa. It might be Hideki Matsuyama, right? But what it what it's probably looking like for me is Cameron Davis at any number, and then whichever one or two of those guys are the most undervalued. Um, I think in DraftKings, there's like a lot of guys that I think are really intriguing DraftKings plays that will have low ownership and don't have a chance in the world of actually winning the tournament. Um, But like, I'm not in terms of uh, betting longer shots. Like I, I could see, I, I think Cameron Davis could win this event because I think Cameron Davis could win any event, but I wouldn't recommend going much lower than him. I would recommend, again, looking at whoever provides the most value on the betting board of those nine guys. And listen, if you want to bet John Rahm at five to one this week, like it's not for me, but I don't really fault you. He's playing at a level um, that I haven't seen in quite some time out of any player in the past three months. And now he's going to his favorite course on the PGA tour. So, you know, I don't know how low they end up making the number, but if you just want to do that, I can't really fault you again, not the route that I'm going to go down, but um, very curious to see again, Sunday morning. So I don't know if he runs away and wins this tournament. I don't know if he blows up and loses this tournament or it's close. I don't know. My guess would be that he wins, but TBD, we shall see. But I think how he performs on Sunday will have a big, you know, big effect on whether he ends up being like, 
he could shoot like 75 at the stadium course on Sunday, and I still think he would be like seven or eight to one. So going to be really interesting to see what happens if he blows the field away and wins by like five today because then maybe in a 145-man field, you get a guy coming in at like a Tiger number, which is, you know, three, four to one. But we shall see. All right, that is it for me. I have gone on way too long on a golf course that I do not even like, but I love this tournament. Um, I'm incredibly excited for it. Depending on my schedule, I've got some family stuff over the weekend. I will try and make it out there to San Diego for at least one day. But good luck with your bets this weekend. You can find me tomorrow on the Odds Checker Betting Show with Jeff. You can also find me tomorrow on my betting preview with Rick on the Rick Run Good YouTube channel and the 300 Yards to Unknown podcast feed. You can find my article that will be up on Monday morning where I went I went deep this week. This is the longest article that I've written on a golf course in, in quite some time because I think as bad of a golf course as it is, it's a really interesting golf course to handicap and talk about. So Monday article will be out then. Probably my uh, weekly rankings will be out a lot closer to like Tuesday morning than Tuesday afternoon, just because we have only two days before this tournament starts. And then my full DraftKings article will probably have to come out late Tuesday, you know, midday to late Tuesday afternoon. And Sorry if that's too late for you, but the goal is to, you know, you should be making your DraftKings lineups very late on Wednesday night to begin with, just because you want to take in all the information that you have at your disposal anyway. But if I can get that article by, I don't know, 6 or 7 p.m. Eastern time, and people still feel like they can read the article and have a couple hours to make their DraftKings lineups, with all of the shit that I have to do in the next two days, that will be a victory for me. So again, that will do it for me. Should be some fun football this weekend. Good luck with your bets regarding those games. Uh, And we'll see you on this podcast feed for Pebble Beach next week. Cheers.